So today, we have uh, the fourth part of Contagious Christianity. Brother Tommy is going to minister, and I was looking in the Bible in Matthew 8, 35. It says, Jesus went about teaching in the synagogue, preaching the kingdom of God. Amen? So Big Tommy's going to come. Professor Big Tommy is going to come and teach and preach to us. And if he said in this lesson, we need to take notes. So the ushers have... Um, uh, Blank pieces of paper and a pen if you need it. So raise your hand if you need a paper or a pen because we want you to take notes. And so that way you can go home and study and come back with an A. <laughs> Amen. So Big Tommy, come on up, brother. Thank you, brother. If you're saved, you'll need to take notes today. So no pressure, but if you're saved, you'll need to take notes. Because there's no way you're going to be able to get everything I'm going to give you today in one sitting. You're going to have to go back and dig in again. So everybody excited to be here today? Come on. I am here to raise hell. Anybody want to raise some hell? Come on, Sean, you got to raise some hell today. You ready? Why are you looking at me like that? It's like, I can't believe he said that. I'm here to raise hell. R-A-Z-E, cut down, destroy, overthrow hell, and establish the kingdom of God. Is that better? Is that more gooder? Contagious Christianity. It's fun when you get a hold of Christianity in, in what the purposes are, to evangelize. When you get a hold of Jesus and you're in love with Christ, you can't help but tell other people. I went from the most shy, timid, stuttering man on the face of this earth to a bold witness for the Lord overnight because I got a hold of Jesus. Bible says he who's forgiven much loves much. He who forgiven little loves little. And when you realize what you've been saved from an eternity of hell, You've been saved from, for rejecting Christ, uh, wisdom in this earthly, natural, and demonic. You've been saved from being a detriment to society. You've been saved from living below the level of life that God has called you to. Selling out to desires you hate, ruled by spirits that hate you. When you realize God's changed your life, you're never the same. Now by your blank stares, some of you need to get it. Contagious Christianity. I remember I was at the University of Hawaii and we had uh, uh, one of our gentlemen, um, Joaquin Barnett, he's been here before the church. Big man, burly man, he's a linebacker from, from Hawaii. And, and I remember Joaquin got saved and he was under such conviction. He said for a whole week he couldn't sleep. He was afraid that he's going to die in his sleep and in, in, in perish in hell for the rest of his life. And when he got saved, he was so changed. Uh, we started a campaign on the campus saying, where the Bible says, pick up your cross and walk. How many of you know if you had to live where you're carrying a cross around, if this had to go with you everywhere, how many of you know you would get noticed? <laughs> Going to 7-Eleven, I got my cross. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to, going to the store. Come on, let's... Getting in the car. Going, that's a hard one, going to the bathroom. Who said that? <laughs> well, that's scripture because the Bible says every man must bear his own load. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> but how many of you know that'd be hard to do? This is going to follow me everywhere. Joaquin, we started a campaign. We made little two-foot crosses, and I said, I want you to carry this cross with you wherever you go. Every class you go to, every, every football practice, you, the cross is going to be right there with you. Joaquin is such a big man. He said, man, I need a man-sized cross. So he built a cross like this big. And he's dragging it to campus, and, and he said, man, Tommy, I'm, I'm, I've been late to campus, uh, my class this week. And I was like, Joaquin, we're trying to build character in your life. How come you're late to class? And he's going, hey, you'd be late too if you had to carry a six-foot cross to class. 
So not only is he late to class, but he's going in a, um, a classroom psychology class where it's one of those theater settings. So he's bringing his cross to class, and as he's entering it, it's not good enough just to sit in the back. He's got to sit up in the front. So you're hearing this boom, 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 boom. Every step he's dragging this cross, and the teacher, the professor, is just staring at him. And it was just perfect. It says, be ready in season and out. The professor said, Joaquin, would you mind explaining why you're carrying that cross to class? How many of you know that opened up the door for him to preach the gospel at the professor's invitation? But that's being bold for Jesus. But that's how we should be acting in our lives, that, that we should be acting as if that cross is with us wherever we go. Now, I've seen some of you on the freeway. You should act like you have a cross. <laughs> I'm preaching myself there. <laughs> but I remember, you know what? I, I took our guys from USC. We had a bunch of uh, uh, the football players that had gotten saved, and we'd just beaten UCLA, which was nothing new. And, um, <laughs> you know, so... We, we're not only going to rub it in going out to Westwood that night. That's where all the movie premieres were. But I got out there and I said, hey, let's go out there and let's, let's, let's preach. So we stood on the street corner. And that's the first time I got out there. I said, hey, I'm out here to raise hell. And started running around the street corner and say, come on, who wants to raise hell with me? We had a huge crowd come. And they're hooping and hollering. And then I gave them the definition, R-A-Z-E, cut down, demolish, destroy, overthrow and established the kingdom of God. And they were just like caught off guard. They're like, I can't believe I fell for this. But it was so powerful. The gospel went forth. We had people getting healed, miracles transpiring. But when you're comfortable with the love of Christ and you know what you've been saved from, you want to tell everybody about it. So contagious Christianity is nothing more than, than sharing what is bubbling out of your heart. The Bible says the zeal for my father's house has consumed me. And that's what we need in the churches in America. I just got back from Houston, and, and it was amazing seeing this church of several hundred people, uh, the majority of them standing up at the altar call, and it's because, you know, they've heard religion all their lives, but they hadn't heard about coming under the lordship of Christ and selling out for God. They had the southern religiosity where it was just putting up a good, good front, putting on their religious coat, but not really having it in their heart. And God wanted to ignite them on fire. So contagious Christianity is talking about getting ignited on fire. Now this is what it says, to back up where we went last couple of weeks, in John 15, verse 8 and 16, it says this. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. It says, when you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. That's not just the love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness kind of self-control. It's producing fruit. The Bible says you've been born again of the seed of Jesus. What does the seed naturally do? It reproduces. We should be reproducing. And the problem is every seed bears fruit after its own kind. That's why he said you can't get apples from an orange seed. You get oranges from an orange seed. And what kind of seed do we have inside of us? The Bible says you've been born again of the seed of Jesus Christ. So we should act like him, talk like him, produce like him. And the most important thing to Jesus, when he reported back to the Father and he was checking in right before the cross, he's reporting back to the Father the greatest things he could ever tell him. He didn't talk about the, the free barbecues, eat all you want. The free boat rides where you drive out and walk back. He didn't talk about the deliverances and the, the other miracles that occurred. He said one thing. He said, Father, I found the ones you sent me to. The most important thing to Jesus was finding the ones he sent them to to give them eternal life. Now, is that our passion as Christians? It should be. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. This is powerful. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. That's how committed that Christianity was. Charles Spurgeon, the Christians that are on fire for God, if you've gotten on fire, if you really believe heaven's real and hell is real and we don't want to go to hell, guess what? 
you're going to tell everybody about it. But you've got to realize with contagious Christianity, you're talking to dead people. You're, you're speaking to blind people. I was at a memorial service yesterday, and, and as I sat there in the memorial service, the guys behind me from my 1977 baseball championship team, they're all with me, and, and the guy behind me, I could, I could smell his breath from his, his just, <sighs> here we go again. Oh, he's only on point two. It just, the negativity, I wanted to turn around and just smack him in faith and then repent later. <laughs> but that I had to remind myself, he's dead. He's blind. He's doing what a good dead blind person does, not believe. I start praying, say, God, open his eyes to see the truth of the gospel. That's how our hearts should be as we start going out. We talked about two weeks ago that we're a fragrant aroma of life and that we should be, be conveying that to people. One of the gentlemen there, uh, as I was at the memorial service, his wife came down and got me before I got out of the house. And she goes, she had no idea who, she, who I was. And she goes, who are you? She goes, there's just such a peace on you. She goes, there's something different about you. You should be carrying that scent. I'm listening to the Buckaroo Strangers with our featured speaker, Kelly Huff. I want t-shirts that say California instead of California. Would that be cool? California. And, and, and as I'm there, I know I don't just go there just, you know, hey, give me another shot. You know, I just, it's, it's like I'm there looking and saying, you know, number one, I'm there to support my sister, my bestest friend, and, and, and I'm there to, to pray with the band or, or be there for the guys. But I'm always looking, saying, Lord, what do you have? What do you want me to do? And just because the fragrance, I ran into a young lawyer, and, and she, she was so under conviction as we talked. Her friends are trying to pull her on the dance floor. And she said, I don't want to dance. I want what he's got. That should be our natural lifestyle. It's contagious. They want what you got. You don't want what they got. That Bible says all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from God but from the world, and the world is passing away. And that your friends are even amazed when you don't dive into what they have because you found something so much better. That's contagious Christianity. So as I thought about this, one thing we want to do is develop your message, develop your testimony. The Bible says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb the word of their testimony. The testimony is a powerful element. The problem most of you don't have is sharing your testimonies because you don't got one. Either out of ignorance or compromise. Either you don't know or your lifestyle can't back it up. Just like I was on that football field and the coach said, we don't have any of those blankety-blank Christians on this team, do we? And I shrank back. Number one reason, because I knew they knew my lifestyle. I was out partying. I was, I was out getting in fights. I was out uh, doing the very same things they were doing. And that if I stood up for Christ, even though I went to my campus crusade Bible studies, church on Sunday, I'd be laughed off that field because I'd be claiming to be something that I was not. I had no testimony. But once you become a Christian, you have a testimony. I don't care how good you are or how you may have been Christian all your life. You have a fantastic testimony. There's one gentleman, his name's John Jackson. He's, he's on uh, uh, ESPN and, and does the, the uh, uh, USC Trojans radio show and and I remember John, while he was a player at USC, he literally came up after one of the chapel services crying. He said, man, I just don't have the testimony that you do, that a Keith Davis, Keith Davis had an incredible testimony how God reached his life, how he'd been in, 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 he witnessed his father being shot, gunned down at age three, how he'd been in 11 different schools by the time he was in high school, how he couldn't read when he came to USC and how God made him a Kodak All-American, which is academic. 
and how he healed him and brought him back on that field and he became the leading tackler at USC. And John's crying, I don't have the testimony like Danelle Sparks being a bodyguard for a hitman and, and actually killing people. And he, I don't have that testimony. I've, I've been raised Christian and I've, you know, and he was literally weeping because he didn't think he had a testimony. I said, John, you got one of the greatest testimonies of all, how you raised in a godly family, how, how you had parents that loved you. But even with that, there was a time in your life you were born into sin, and the converting power of God had to come to your life that saved you out of darkness and brought you into light, that saved you out of hell and brought you into heaven. You got a great testimony. Every one of us should have a testimony, and we know it's repeatable, it's simple, but we need to know what we've been saved from and what we're going to. And there's not an excuse for any of us. The Bible says, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In other words, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He says, I expect you to seek and save the lost. Therefore, you need to know your testimony. But if you've not been living the lifestyle, you don't have one. That's why Rosie Greer confronted me and said, you're playing games with God, aren't you? In 1982 at the Fiesta Bowl. Because I'd given a great testimony, but I was lying through my teeth. But when God made that real, he took the timidity, the fear, and he put a boldness, a power in me, took me around the world, stood me up before arenas, 15, 20,000 people, and without a shred of fear, boldly confessing, getting up to in front of the famous uh, athletes, thousands, having guys like James Brown and just, boom, confronting him with the gospel because I don't care who he is. He's an eternal soul that's going to bust hell wide open unless he's walking right with God, and I don't want to let that happen. That's the desperateness we have when we really believe Christianity is real. Or what kind of selfish people we are to hold this? It's, it's us four and no more. As long as I got mine, I'm hanging on. And you've got to get out of survival Christianity and start running for a purpose. When, when you find your purpose in Christ, you're changed forever. And you realize that the desires in your heart, the callings in your heart are not just your good idea, but they're from God. I remember that NFL player, he's an all-pro, he had a little cross in his ear. And I heard he'd gotten saved and, and started witnessing to him and, and sharing with him, and he's just like stiff-arming me and just hard-hearted, doing things that he knew he shouldn't have been doing. Finally, I got fed up, and it's out of the love of Christ and the boldness. I said, look, why don't you take that cross out of your ear and shove it down your throat? Maybe it'll work its way into your heart better that way. And it got saved. But because I know who I'm believing in and zealous for the gospel and the sacrifice that my Jesus did for me on the cross, It says, witness to all men. Be ready in season and out. Standing at Harvard, one of the most intellectual campuses in America. I'm walking, and there's the Harvard Library. I had a picture taken while I was opening the door. I felt smarter just opening the door. <laughs> Thinking that's the same door that Obama went through, the same door that Kennedy went through. But I remember standing on that campus in, in, the, in the science quad, the most humanistic intellectual place on earth, giving a defense of the gospel and seeing people get saved, lives being transformed, and speaking boldly. But it's because I knew what I was, I've, I've been saved from and I know what I'm going to. And that's my hope today is to convey that to you. Okay, remember you're dealing with somebody that's blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those that are perishing. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that display the glory of Christ through the image of God. They're blind. 
And our hope as we witness is to awaken them that the grace of God would manifest and give them the ability to respond through faith. For it's grace that you're saved through faith that none should boast. Grace causes the blind to have eyes that are open and obtain something they cannot obtain on their own. Do you realize how dead in sin you really were? Well, I found God. I chose Jesus. No, you didn't. Because your heart is as dead and cold and blind unless God would have opened it. It's God's grace that lets you reach out and grab a hold of God. And it's his faith that causes you to finish what he's begun in you. So we're dealing with dead, blind people. And now I'm talking about the participation, Christianity, sharing the gospel. Philippians 1.5 It says, because of the way in which you've helped me, uh, Paul said this, because of the way in which you have helped me in the work of the gospel from the very first day until now. God wants us to be participants. That's the only kind of Christian there was in the old days, those that are participating in sharing the gospel. You know why we live in such an exceptional nation, such a great nation? There may be a lot of faults, but I'm tired of apologizing for, for minor things in comparison to what birthed this country. It was because the pilgrims, our forefathers, saw themselves as stepping stones for the propagation of the gospel into the whole world. Christopher Columbus said he was led by the Holy Spirit to find this new land. And you know what the bottom line is? You can get all the intellectual arguments. The bottom line is, is these were men with a passion to see the lost evangelized and saved. 2 Timothy 1, 7, 8, talking about being participation. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power or boldness, love and discipline. So never, what does that word never mean in the original Greek, our Greek scholars? Never, never thank you. Greek scholar, Chuck. So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. Are you ashamed to tell others about the Lord? Do you shrink back when the perverse jokes are going around, when the improper uh, fellowship is taking place, when the compromise is being offered, when you're a businessman and it'd be easy to close the deal if you just compromise? Drop your ethics and morality a little bit? Are you ashamed to, to pray for your meal when you go out? God's given you a spirit of boldness that you would not deny the Lord. I'm seeing something in my spirit, and I'll, I'll share it later, but Psalms 119.46 says this. Psalms 119.46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be put to shame. I remember the day came where Harold Reynolds, he's the ESPN uh, baseball guy. I think it's Major League Baseball now. But um, Harold Reynolds was visiting our Bible study. And, and, and I said, hey, champ, come on in here, share. And, and in the middle of his message, God told me, you're going to stand up before kings and presidents and testify for my namesake. Harold called me two weeks later. He's playing for Seattle Mariners, the all-star second baseman. He said before the game, the ball boy came out and said, hey, Harold, I've got President Bush on the line. He wants to speak to you. And he's saying, yeah, that's probably a joke. Well, he was just named one of thousand points of light by George Bush Sr. He said, Tommy, I couldn't believe it. It's just two weeks after what you shared. You'll stand before presidents and kings. I think uh, one of our men, and we we're in Japan, and, and we're well, I had Dennis Tinarino. He is a four-time Mr. Universe. This dude was big. He had beaten Schwarzenegger, Ferrigno. They'd traded titles back and forth. Dennis was on fire for God. I mean, the man was an incredible witness for Jesus. And, and we're picked up in a, in a limousine, which was rare in Japan as it is because it's such a little place. And, and, and we're rushed off to this five-star restaurant, and it, we had the Colby beef that was just... Like, I mean, they said, do you know how much that, that meal cost? And it was like a couple hundred dollars per person way back in, in the mid-80s. It was incredible. 
But in this fancy restaurant, all these businessmen, it was a leader, a head of uh, one of the nation's banks. He asked Dennis to, to stand up and, and, and to pose. So he takes his shirt off, and here he's a five-star restaurant posing. He looked like Pastor Chuck, and just kind of flexing and just, you know, and, and uh, it was so amazing because he did that, they said, you know, how did you get here? And he told about his life of crime, that, that he was like, he said, the gang that couldn't shoot straight. He said they would do stuff, they would hit a hospital back in the day, they would in New York pay by cash. So they had it all worked out with an accountant from the hospital, and, and this guy, the accountant wanted to be in on the deal because just the excitement of the movement, but so they had to put a mask on and all this stuff. And what happened, they kept getting people coming into the payroll office, and, and they kept tying them up and putting them in the corner. And priests and that, about a dozen people. And, and one of the bank uh, security people came in. They tied them up, and they threw them in the corner. And the guy's laughing. And Dennis has got a gun up in his head and said, shut up, I'll kill you. And the guy's laughing. What's so funny? He said, obviously, you didn't see the paper today. Brinks went on strike. So the Brinks truck never showed up. You know, his, his mother, Dennis is from Italian family. His mother threw a dinner for all Dennis's partners, and, and they had the greatest dinner. And, and after this great meal, she goes, did you all enjoy that, boys? And they're like, oh, this was great, Mrs. Tinerino. And, and, and she goes, you think I'm stupid? I know what you bums are doing. And she wanted her cut. So it just, I mean, it's amazing. Dennis came out of this background. And he's sharing this testimony with these, these businessmen from Japan. And they had, they, they had such a hard time grasping how somebody so wicked and evil could be changed. That that was the turning point. Because in Japan, once shamed, always shamed. But, but they saw the converting power of God. That's why your testimony is so important. Because people can't argue with your testimony. They can't argue with the changed life. So we need to get that same testimony for our little circles of people because they can, they can fume and fuss all they want, but they can't argue with the changed life, which means also you've got to have fruit. You've got to be looking like a Christian, talking like a Christian, acting like a Christian, having a devotional life like a Christian, not just speaking Christianese. And putting on the religious code on Sunday, but having a change of nature in your heart. Change of direction. That same J Japan trip, it was amazing that, that one of the guys we witnessed to was Konishiki, the world champion sumo wrestler, 550 pounds. We doubled the size of the church in weight in that one day. 1 <laughs> Peter 3.15 but have reverence for Christ in your hearts and honor him as Lord. That's number one. You don't have a testimony unless he's Lord of every area of your life. Either he's Lord of all or not at all. We shared about that a few weeks ago. Our lives are no longer our own. He's got it all. And we're just playing games with God unless we've given him lordship. It's not what I want, what I think, what I feel. My morality is not my own. It's what does the Lord have for me? Is my brother shared about our name is holy? That should be our name. The Bible says you are a holy people, a righteous nation. Do you understand if you're a Christian, you are holy, righteous, you're perfect and without sin in his sight because when he looks at you, he sees through thy faith. This is important in evangelism, realizing you've had a changed nature. Remember I said you've been born again of the seed of Jesus? This is an important part of evangelism. There's a seed inside of your spirit that if you've genuinely been converted to Christ, you have the very DNA spiritually of, of Jesus. Not like he's a little Jesus living and walking around in your heart. Like my son used to say, he said, a little three-year-old, he said, Dad, food goes in my mouth, down my throat, and falls on Jesus' head. Because Jesus is in his heart. You know, it just, it's not like, but you have the same substance. When a mom and daddy produce a baby, that baby is bone of their bone, flesh of their flesh, same substance. Is those parents, same DNA. What we have, if we're born again, 
the DNA of Jesus and say, you've been born again of the seed of Jesus. That tiny little seed is genetically perfect. If I got an apple seed and I plant it in the ground, guess what I'm going to get? Great use, mental giants. If I plant an orange seed, I'm going to get oranges. Aren't you glad? Oh, I know it's, it's a juicy joke, but... Anyhow, back in the spirit. That seed is genetically perfect. All it needs is time, nutrients, and it'll grow. The seed does what it's produced to do. So if you've been born again of the seed of Jesus, genetically perfect, your spirit. So God looks at you now. He doesn't see the fallible, finite, fallen nature of your flesh. He doesn't see the corruptible soul where your mind, will, and emotions, the battle that rages. He looks at your spirit. My friend that passed away yesterday, and, and, and I thought about it. You know, people said he was a tormented soul. He struggled with substance abuse. But I knew he was saved and he loved God. And the last few months, he'd really turned it around. And it was sad he had a sudden heart attack. He was gone. But the, I was fully confident that he's with Jesus today. Because that's his nature, his spirit, man. The flesh is dead, buried in the ground. But his nature was changed. And when God looked at Terry Pfeiffer, he saw not the fallible, finite, fallen Terry Pfeiffer that struggled with alcohol, that struggled with different things. He looked at Terry Pfeiffer, the Christian, the man of God, and that his spirit that was confined in this earth suit is now free. His perfect DNA, holy nature is free He's living with Jesus for all eternity. God's not looking for perfect people, but people with a perfect heart. And a perfect heart means there has to be genuine conversion that's transpired. I believe in once saved, always saved, contingent upon genuine conversion in the beginning. If you were died tonight, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? Do you know for certain that you're righteous, holy, and perfect right now before God? If you don't, you can know. But you got to give him lordship of your life. you got to let that seed into your heart. Why is your story important to God? 1 Peter 3.15 But have reverence for Christ in your hearts. Honor him as Lord. Be ready at all times or in, in the Greek it says, give a defense for the hope that is in you. To answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have in you. Are you ready in season and out? Pastor Chuck and I talked last night. And I said, I doubt that if, if, if the majority of people in our church could come up with one scripture of what actually transpired through salvation. If they could have one scripture they know by heart that backs up their conversion experience. If we claim we're Christians, if we don't even know what we've been saved from. The easy believism has led to a lifestyle of compromise and, and people that have short-sighted sellouts and, and they have to make their seasonal migrations to God at, at conventions or or, or harvest festivals, or you got 3,000 people walking forward and, and they're coming down to altar call again with their Bibles in their arm because it didn't work the first time. It's not that it didn't work. They don't know what they've been saved to if that genuinely happened. Or they're living in compromise and they need to genuinely be transformed. And some of the hardest people to be genuinely transformed are compromising counterfeit converts. Claiming with their mouth lordship to Christ, but denying by their deeds. That's how I was for years. Why is your story important? Your story can change lives. Being ready in season and out. We were struggling in Australia for an outreach, and, 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 and people were staying away by the thousands. I mean, we were doing evolution versus creation, and nobody's showing up. God gave me that idea to put on a gorilla suit that said, is this your daddy? <laughs> and then we just were monkeying around. And uh, they're driving me around on the hood of a 57 Chevy. And, 
and I'm, I'm jumping up and down, and, and they got a big megaphone, and they're going, Ape Man, Ape Man, fact or fiction? Is your great daddy cheetah? Are you just another higher rung on the evolutionary ladder? From goo to you by way of the zoo, you know, just, you know, all these things, and, and, and we're getting all this attention. In the midst of that, there's a communist rally going on. They're trying to gain access to a radio station. And God pricks my heart and says, go over there and preach. And I'm like, oh, Lord, thou knows I have a gorilla suit on. <laughs> and I felt compelled, go preach. I said, how do you want me to do it? He said, get on top of that bridge. It is overlooking the rally. Get that megaphone and start yelling down. Communism's bankrupt. Every nation that's communist is falling apart from the inside out. It's a failure. And they're yelling at me, you Yankee pig, go home. They were so hostile, I thought they were going to throw me off the bridge. And I said, that's just like you commies. I was ready in season and out. I said, if you've got enough guts to let me on that microphone... It's, it's you communists, you just want your propaganda and you don't want any opposition because you can't face the truth. If you, had any, if you had any fairness at all, you'd let me get on that mic. Yeah, they were dumb enough to do it. I got a picture. I'm standing in a gorilla suit. I took the mask off. That really scared them. And then uh, I got on the mic and started preaching about how God had a destiny and a plan that he wasn't a socialistic God, that God had given us a unique individual, unique purpose, and, and, and he's given us a system of, of free enterprise and rugged individualism and, and, and that the communists would restrain. And, and I mean, 90% of the, the military in Russia back at that time was to keep their own people in their country. And it was amazing right when I started speaking because I was ready in season. I had no idea this was going to happen. My testimony hit ABC, which was their Australian broadcast company, and it literally went out all over the nation. After that point, we went from having nobody come to our meetings to the place was packed out. Amen. It was amazing. But it's being ready in season and out and not putting limits on God and saying, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to speak. He said, open your mouth and I'll fill it. Because when the seed's in you, it naturally comes out. Why is your story important? Number one reason why, your friends are interested. Now, this means you've got to have some friends first. You've got to have some unsaved friends. Problem in the church is we cut off all of our unsaved friends and we go back to the church functions. I don't know who to evangelize. But you've got to have some friends genuine, show a genuine interest in them. We talked about last time, sincere compliments win the right to share your story. That's a Dale Carnegie principle. Real friends want to understand each other's thoughts, values, backgrounds. And you don't need to compromise. Well, I'll go have a drink with you so I can share the gospel. You stand your ground. Your friends are genuinely interested, so your story is important. Secondly, people can relate to you. You're usually drawn to people you relate to. And then if, if, if not, when you're out there building friendships, you need to look for relatable factors that you can identify with. Whether you like their clothes, whether it's your children, whether it's the same job, whether it's giving a sincere compliment. Hey, man, I like the way you, you, you cash register uh, clerk at a soup plantation or just, hey, thank you so much. That was so nice. You're doing a wonderful job. Boom, it opens the door. Hey, why don't you come visit us at our church? The bank teller. God gave me a word of knowledge on this one girl behind the counter. And I said, you're having boyfriend troubles, aren't you? And I said, you've been living in depression and anxiety. And boom, just speak that word of life. And she didn't come to our church, but I know for a fact she ended up joining uh, Cottonwood Christian Center down in La Salle. She goes, man, I was just debating about going to church. I said, go. And she becomes a Christian. Just one little word. But it's building genuine relationships and it gives you a, a right to share your story. So look for the relatable. 
Look for people with similar interests and, 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 and just watch what God does. He opens the door. That same time, I'm over in Russia, and, and, and it was amazing because I stand up. I'm outside of Lenin's tomb, negative 20-degree chill factor. It was it freezing. But I'm out there preaching. First time anybody had stood outside of Lenin's tomb and preached in 70 years. And I remember my interpreter, I keep trying to get him to get louder. He kept getting softer. I'm like, come on. I was getting frustrated because he's, he's getting quieter and quieter and quieter. It's like, come on, speak up. And I find out the reason why he was getting softer and softer because there was an antagonist. There was a, a heckler. He was KGB sniper. He killed over 80 people in Afghanistan. And he was threatening to kill us. And we didn't shut up and quit preaching the gospel. And I just kept preaching boldly. Because I couldn't understand the thing he was saying. So, <laughs> But it was amazing to see how there's a relatableness. I started doing feats of strength. Breaking handcuffs. Snapping chains. Breaking bricks. And he just started to love me. He went from being antagonistic. By the time I got done, he was running around trying to gather an offering for us. Afterwards, in our, our Bible study, we were like, how do we follow that guy up? I said, oh, you're not going to have to worry about that. I think he's going to follow you up. Matter of fact, there he is in the building across the street. No, I'm kidding. But it was the relatableness. So should we share our story we need to remember, you, you share your personality, find relatable things, and, and the big thing is your story is hard to argue with. Chuck Swindoll said this, the skeptic may deny your doctrine or attack your church, but cannot honestly ignore the fact your life has been changed. That's a great word. You can't argue with a changed life. Now, Pastor Chuck's been flashing me high five. I'm only halfway done. So we're going to honor the pastor, and we're going to shut this down. But this is just part, part two of my series. It's going to be three. And we're going to find out what your personality is and how that personality fits sharing the gospel. If you want to get a little pre-look at what, what, what we're going to talk about, you can look at the story of Paul in Acts 26 as he speaks to King Agrippa. And it's the perfect format of the testimony. What he was like before he got saved how he got saved, and where he's going now. Just three parts. We're going to hit that. But before we close tonight or today, I want to pray for you that God's going to start to put that desire. Evaluate where you are as a Christian, number one. Are you really on fire for God or are you playing games? When I came in here from the words of Kelly, Marianne, Pastor Chuck, the praise and worship, Everything's been pointing to the fact you're in a place of choice. It says, choose you this day who you serve. Do not be mistaken. You're serving somebody. So with the authority of Jesus Christ based on his resurrection, I command you to repent if you're not walking right with God. I command you to walk under the Lordship of Christ. And I can do so under the authority of the gospel because he says, command people everywhere. You've made a choice. Accept or reject. That's your only two options. You can stiff arm and say, I'm not ready right now. You've made a choice to reject. If you're to die in that state, you're going to be lost to God eternally. 14 years old, you can go to hell. Power team meeting in Augusta, Georgia, a 14-year-old came up on his bike, accepted the Lord. Didn't know that day on the way home as we're walking back to our hotel, stopping by the Dairy Queen. We hear the sirens, and that boy had been hit by a car and killed. His eternal destiny would have been fixed had he not woken up to the truth of the gospel. What in your life is worth staking eternity on? Hear me now. Heaven is real. Hell is hot. And what it means for you to reject Jesus Christ 
means that you'll continue to live below the level of life that God's called you to. You'll be ruled by spirits that hate you. You'll be led down an increasingly repulsive degradation of sin into worse and worse things. Your wisdom will be earthly, natural, and demonic, making you a detriment to society. In having become the Messiah of your own life, you will have no spiritual influence over your family, your children, your, your environment. Detriment to society. And upon breathing your last, you'll be lost to God for eternity. But that's just when it begins. Because in hell, the fire not only gets hotter, the punishment becomes worse. With every moment, you curse God more and more because of the state you're in, causing you to go down a downward spiral path in the pits of hell. And after a million years, you still will not have come two pennies closer to paying your eternal debt to God. That's when hell begins and you're lost to God eternally. Where are you at today? Accept or reject, but do not be mistaken. When you walk out these doors, you're going to go out as part of the family of God or you're going to go out part of the family of the world. So the world's past passing away. You will never find fulfillment apart from Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I pray right now, even as we're doing a message on contagious Christianity and evangelism, it's so important that we, we have the genuine, the Father, that we truly know that what we've been saved from. Father, your word says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that we could be made new creations, new creatures in Christ that we can be impregnated with your holy nature. So, Father, I pray right now that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would unstop the ears of the deaf, that if you're apart from Jesus Christ and you need to be transformed, then right now is your day. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God's fighting for you right now. There's some of you here in this room. He's fighting and battling. This was not the intent of this message, but by the Spirit of God, he's confronting you with the truth. If you choose to respond, he's going to change your nature from a sinner to a child of God. If you choose to walk away, you will never be able to stand up and say, nobody ever told me. And God doesn't owe you another chance. God has a destiny, a purpose, a plan for your life that's beyond anything that compares. But you won't get there by being half-hearted, lukewarm, religious. Christianity is not religious rules and regulations, but it's a living, viable relationship with Jesus Christ. So if that's you today and you're saying, Tommy, I need forgiveness I need the power of God to give me change. Maybe some of you are just saying, God, my eyes are blind and I know it, but you've got to give me grace. Let my eyes be open to see my condition. If you know you're not right with God, where if you were to bust into heaven this second, would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or would he say, depart from me? I never knew you. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because every time you reject him, put him off, delay, your heart becomes a little colder, a little more callous. You hide behind your intellectualism. You hide behind your pride. But the Bible says in Romans 1, every one of us are without excuse. It says that we've chosen willfully to go blinded and deny the truth. 
If you're here today and say, I'm not going to deny the truth any longer. I want Jesus. I want him to be my substitute for the eternal debt of my sin that I could never pay on my own. I accept him into my heart as Lord and Savior. And you're willing to let him be first place in your life. He will complete what he's beginning in you. And don't you dare be ashamed. Why well, count to three if that's you and you need Jesus. You need to be transformed. I'm not talking rededication. I'm not talking about first-time commitment. But you know in the depths of your heart you need to be transformed. Then you raise your hand. I command you in the name of Jesus, if you're not right with God, this is your day. Who needs that forgiveness? One, two, three. Get your hands up. That's 10, 11. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for those 11 or 12 that have raised their hands, that today salvation has come to your home, that all the heavens are rejoicing. The angels are throwing down a party. This is your birthday into the kingdom of God. And Father, that what you've begun is you've welcomed into your family you're going to give them grace to complete. Not by striving harder, trying better, but supernaturally by the power and the will of God. He's translated you out of the kingdom of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of light. You've been delivered from the law of sin and death. And you've been delivered into the law of life in Christ Jesus. And from this day forward, you'll be led by the love of Christ who will maximize your abilities sanctify your wisdom, and open up doors of favor and blessings that you may achieve your God-given destiny and reach your highest potential in him. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And in the name of Jesus, seal that word. And we know that word will not return void, but will accomplish everything you sent it to do. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Pastor Chuck, come on up here. Now, some of them needed to respond and didn't, but that's okay because it's just not their time. But that word will not escape them. And in the middle of the night when nobody's around, in the darkness, the anxieties, the fears, the insecurities, shortcomings, you're going to remember. And that's why I'm hoping, Pastor, that they're going to remember. Call out to Jesus. He'll change their heart and fill them with that love. Amen? Amen. Praise God.